Hello, everyone. I'm just trying to find my my icons. Just make sure we are live. Hello, hello, everyone. This 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 is the warm up element um, with women and food and farming before we really get going. Um, Safi, Eve, quietly say hello to everyone. Hello. Eve, Eve you can't talk. Go on, just say hello. You said quietly. I'm oh, fine. Oh, That's for me. Too. Hi. <laughs> good grief. Right, um, everyone. Let's get uh, all the good folk in. Ding, ding, ding. Um, if, uh, are those uh, on live stream? We just have to tell everyone this is fantastically chaotic when we do this because we have a meeting room a breakout session on the, on the Zoom platform. But the only way we could do that is by setting this up as a meeting rather than a webinar. But it means that uh, we have to let ev everyone in. Um, but most people know, know the form that as they come in, we ask them to turn their videos off. Off. So Jan, you never turn your video off, which is, oh no, she has now. Greta, hello, nice to see you. Can you turn your video off? Uh, oh, every, yes, here we go. Right. I think, do you know, I think we're, we're going to start and we'll, we'll let everyone pile on in um, as we do this. Da, 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 da. Just see if we're missing anyone. We've got Antoinette, we've got Ruby, we've got Sophie, everyone else is coming in. As you come in, guys, if you could just turn, turn your videos off. So let's let's start and see how we get on. I think this is our first Women in Food and Farming uh, for 2022. We had a little bit of a hiatus um, as we came into Christmas because um, actually we all needed a, a bit of a break, um, Eve, didn't we? Because it was, uh, it was fa fairly full on. Uh, Ruby, could you just turn your video off? So Sophie, can you just turn your video off, please? Thank you. Um, um, Eve, it was it, we had such a great run last year. I can't remember all the people that we we had on, but the the results were were. were well, or inspiring with the number that we of people that we ha had on. So, um, Eve, I'm just going to slightly hospital pass it over to you on, on the basis that we normally have um, um, your your uh, esteemed mother, uh, Christine Takeod, on uh, to give a bit of a background to women in food and farming. But because she is very busy, she's uh, uh, mixing with uh, the hoi polloi, doing some big high-powered meeting as, as normal. <laughs> she sends her apologies to everyone, but she can't make it today. So, Eve, can you just... Um, Introduce yourself, or could you just uh, give a little bit of background on um, women in food and farming, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, first of all, I joined this meeting like 15 minutes ago, and Max just suddenly said, right, you're introducing it. And I just kind of went, ah, I panicked and actually ended up ringing my mother while she was in the car. Anyway, um, so hello, everybody. I'm Eve, and I am Christine's uh, daughter. And I've been going to uh, women in food and farming probably since I don't know 2012 maybe it started in 2011 but I've, I've been going along kind of as this kind of young newbie hoping to get into agriculture and um and yeah I've been really I really enjoyed all the networking um and whatnot but it was originally founded um by by my mother Christine um just to support women in agriculture because she found that she knew a lot of contacts that were from um, the law side and then the actual farm uh, farming and then all the different industries and jobs that you have within agriculture. So it was a forum for everyone to get together and kind of be there as a support. And also for me, especially to do with like networking and getting into the industry. Um, so yeah, she, uh, she put it all together and then everyone has to bring someone along and we're hoping to go back to doing physical events. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of doing these discussions to keep the conversation going. Excellent, well, well done. And uh, um, Safi, you, you won't believe this, Christine is about to enter the room. It's, it's almost like we, we, pre, we pre ordained this. Where, where, where is she? she she's, we, meant we, to be, she's meant to be um, uh, 
going to a halt and district farmers discussion group this evening. Oh, I, I, I think I think she's entered, but she did, she she's handed <laughs> it all over to to you, even and me, ready to, for us to give uh, um, Safi a big a big entree. <laughs> so, so, Eve, firstly, thank you very much for just giving that description for women and food and farming. It's going to be great when you guys can actually get back to to face to face uh, meetings. I remember, oh. Two and a half years ago, um, doing a quick interview on camera with uh, with Christine at the Savills headquarters uh, mm. when you were going to um, have just before a big um, women in food and farming event there. And a number of people have said to us, especially in the latter end of 2021, when are uh, when are the physical events uh, about to about to come back? Um, and everyone is busy. Everyone, I suppose, is just waiting to see what's going to happen over the, the, the next quarter. But there are more and more live events coming on. But I can't speak for um, the organisers of Women in Food and Farming, but I'll be very confident that you'll be back to face to face very shortly. But in I the think, meantime, sorry. I think, we're, I think we're aiming for around June, July sort of time. So hopefully the kind of hiatus is gone and we can organise something in London. Excellent. And, and in the meantime, we, we may all be getting a bit tiresome of uh, the Zoom squares of death, as I, as I, as I call it. But uh, what we found works really well is getting amazing speakers uh, that we can really learn and be educated from, and hence why we've um, looked to obtain um, Safi. So, so Safi, before we, we look to get down to this subject of, of choice in, in the respect of you, Safi, can you just give a little bit of background on, on yourself and also your day job, please? Oh, um, I work for MDS. I've worked for MDS now for 18 years. Well, it'll be 18 years in March. Um, currently, my role is Chief Operating Officer. Um, and I think most people know now that MDS is um, a scheme, really, that we get graduates into the food industry. So we put them on a two-year programme and we give them a variety of experience. Um, we are now going to go work with um, non-grads as well and people coming into second careers and um, that's something that we're going to be making a lot more of as the week goes on and that sort of ties up quite nicely with what I'm going to talk about today that you know opportunities need to be broader. Excellent so, and Safi before you go to that I did I was just thinking about it when I was walking my, my office dogs um, at lunchtime today about MDS that I've got a um, a just going to ask some of these ladies um, some of these team members to turn their videos off uh, Bridget could you just turn your video off Kathleen could you just turn your video off please we, we can bring you bring you all in at the end thank, thank you very much um, so Safi I've got a, a 20 25 year plus 10 year with uh, with MDS and I always thought that MDS was um, a little bit of a of a sleeping giant until two individuals got involved, being yourself and, and Christine. And then if you now look at the acceleration and the growth um, and, the, and the presence, the media presence of, of MDS, it's quite extraordinary what, uh, what you have all done. And I think there's sometimes where you, you there's sometimes when you just have to be uh, immodest about what, what you've achieved. So I just wanted to give a big handout to yourself, Christine, Greta, Kirsty, Helen, Sophie, Izzy, Kelly, Tom, Safi, have I missed anyone? No, I don't think so. And I'm really sorry if I haven't noticed if they have I don't think you, if they have. And in the respect of everything that you've all done in recent years, since yourself and Christine have, have looked to, to take MDS to, to the next level. And I think if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have uh, the, the depth and expertise of um, talent that we've got in, um, in Fresh Produce. On a, on, a, on a recruitment uh, perspective, whenever we see an individual with an MDS background, we get 
so excited because we just know of the caliber of an individual um, that, that they are. And especially the excitement for all of us in the sectors to see what um, yourself and all of your colleagues are going to do next in the respect of um, um, MDS and these new initiatives that, uh, that, that you've got coming through. There's, there's no other organization like MDS if you're not aware within the fresh sector. So if you're a company, you need to engage with, uh, with MDS. Just, just dial into Google uh, Management Development Services. And if you're a graduate and you're looking to further your career uh, post-college, um, post-university, again, look at the, the, the website to get an understanding of some of the success stories that people have had by going through the, the MDS program. Safi, any more to say on that, please? Well, the only thing that I, I really want is um, it's all about potential. It's about recognising people's potential and making sure that they've got the opportunity to reach the goals that they're capable of. So when they come into MDS, they don't necessarily have all that experience, but we can see that there's something in that person that we can develop. Um, and that is what I'm really passionate about. And that's that's um, something that I show as a success for itself. The greatest achievement really is the ones that come in and you think, oh, they're lacking in confidence, but we can see something in them and then we give them the opportunity to really reach their goals. And like you say, the outcomes speak for themselves. 100% employment in 36 years. Wow. And we're going to go further than that now with our new venture, which we'll, we'll make the big announcement about that on Thursday. So we're all really excited about the future of MDS. Excellent. So, and I, I, I think I said on, on the MDS broadcast that we did with you recently, where we had something like 18 MDS graduates on, that um, uh, whoever came up with the rules of, of Wimbledon was, a, was of tennis, was a genius. Whoever came up with the uh, with, with the remit of uh, MDS, that you have uh, four um, secondments uh, with four different companies. And if you're commercial, you don't go straight into commercial. You might end up with commercial as, as the end, end segment, uh, secondment. But the fact that you come out such a well-rounded individual and with such a, a great uh, network connection on, on a UK, in some respects, an international basis, it's, a, it's hugely beneficial. So, so Safi, you're, you're very positive that the future is bright for, for MDS. Absolutely. Yeah, really exciting. Well, well, I think we've got the avatorial um, over and done with Safi, but I'm sure we'll bring it up, up at the end. So, so rather than me looking to um, introduce your topic, can you introduce our, your topic and then I'll back away? Yeah, so, um, so it really ties in with what we've just been talking about, about um, people's potential being able to reach your goals, but really looking at, depending on what social economical background you come from, that's going to determine what opportunities that you're presented with. So um, that's going to be the broad discussion. Excellent. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to turn off my, my video. We're going to let Safi talk to us so we can uh, learn from, um, from, from the master on, on this subject. And at the end, if you've got questions, please bring them in into the, into the Q&A. Um, and then at the very end, we're going to turn off the, the feeds to, to the social media and we're going to go into our breakout room so that we can all catch up on that, on that basis. So Safi, over to you, please. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to talk about um, social economic status and I'm going to inject some of my own experience so that I can bring this to life because um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about making sure that people um, are, have the opportunity to get where they deserve to be is because I found in my own experience that that's not always that easy. So when we consider socioeconomic status, um, which I'm going to refer to as SES because that's quite a mouthful, most people consider income and an individual's ability to live a lifestyle um, pretty much based on their financial status. However, the effects are far more extensive as SES impacts educational achievement, um, social status, 
it impacts an individual's opportunity to reach their true potential. Um, the reason is not necessarily due to a person's ability, it's more often it's due to the reduced opportunity that people with a lower SES are presented with. And it's the unconscious bias of those in society, particularly those with power, because they, they're the ones that are making the decisions. So we all make assumptions about people, even if we don't admit it. Um, and often those assumptions are made without much evidence. So to really increase our own personal awareness of how this affects our decisions and behavior, we've got to analyze what influences our beliefs. So if I tell you that, and we've already discussed this, that I currently hold the position of COO in a successful business, most of you will subconsciously make a number of assumptions about me based on that very limited information. And the assumptions may not be accurate because in the main, assumptions are driven by stereotype. You simply won't be aware that, you that you've pigeonholed me. So let's just take a minute to explore that further. Um, quite often our unconscious bias is formed by stereotype. And imagine that my name is Alex and you don't know me, you can't see me. And if you didn't know anything about me, it is likely that you would think that a COO would be a man because even in 2022, the majority of chief execs are men. So I've already broken this stereotype because I am a woman. Um, you may now create further assumptions based on that stereotype because the stereotype of a woman in a leadership position that often presents this as being either in emotional, tough, weak, and often masculine. I don't believe that I fall into any of these descriptors but it is likely that I'll have to evidence that before I can overcome that assumption. So having broken the mold of the gender stereotype, which although it's an interesting subject, it's a subject in its own right, and we haven't got time for that today, other assumptions will have been made about my socioeconomic status and my education. Remember, this is all assumption based on what I disclosed about my professional status. So again, I don't fit neatly into the SES or educational stereotype, which accompanies a female COO. I did not attend a red brick university and I did not experience opportunities to network or benefit from personal or professional connections. The reality is that I left home and formal education at 16 before completing standard exams and I entered the adult world without any financial or emotional support. And I'm not going to bore you with what happened next, as it's not relevant. And quite honestly, that's a book in its own right. But you don't need to be Einstein to work out that this wasn't going to be a smooth road. So there is no doubt that during the first years of independent living, there were times when I experienced abject poverty. And I'm not talking about not being able to afford a holiday or buy a new handbag. I did not have the means for electricity, gas, food. Um, very basic items that we all take for granted were very much a luxury. And this became my norm for a few years. And during this time, I met people who were living similar lives. I expect that some of you are now making more assumptions because 16-year-olds that have left home without financial security before completing education, this creates an unconscious bias and a stereotype in this situation does not end with a successful career. 
Again, your assumptions may not be accurate and formed out of what you believe to be true rather than what you know for fact. What you do know is that I left school without qualifications and as you don't know why, you're going to make your own assumptions. This probably concludes that I was an underachiever, that I did not enjoy school or that I had low academic potential. Well, the reality is that I really enjoyed learning and when I was at school, I was an A grade student. It was life circumstances that determined my path and nothing to do with potential. I did not achieve academically, but I definitely had the ability to do so. So this scenario is not unique to me. There are many hundreds of thousands of people in similar situations. What I quickly found out when I was 16 was that when you're living in poverty and the only people that can support you are in similar situations, there's very few opportunities to make your life different. The reason for this is that no one can see past the stereotype, the belief that we are conditioned to have, and no one is looking for potential in this group of people. So clearly I did break the mold. I've already disclosed that I achieved my professional goals, but in hindsight, this could have been a quicker and a much less painful process. So I still wonder what my life might have been like had I been able to break through other people's bias in my early years. So my experience has taught me that other people would determine my worth and unfortunately they would find it difficult to see past their own assumptions. So their unconscious bias. I did have the opportunity, um, I didn't have the opportunity for discussion to evidence potential because the judgments that were made were preventing me from getting anywhere near that hurdle. The people that could provide opportunity they didn't want to engage in discussion and they weren't asking questions because they believed they already had all the answers so they didn't want to waste their time and these assumptions included if i had potential i would have academic qualifications to prove it and to have had so many life experiences at such a young age that must mean that i was either delinquent troubled unstable unreliable and probably somebody that was better to be avoided. And I can confidently say that these assumptions were unfounded, but I would also have to admit that my first steps into adult life were not conventional, and so I didn't completely blame people for being cautious, but this didn't mean that they had to completely exclude. So as a child making adult decisions, sometimes I got it wrong, but the assumptions made by others were far wider of the mark. Obviously, I did gain employment, but again, I was pigeonholed and the employment I gained, it didn't have any value or opportunity for progression. It was more a uh, means to an end. And I can tell you, I've been a cleaner. I've sat on a till in a checkout. I've childminded. I um, worked in a pub and I've been telesales. At one point, I had three jobs. But at no point did anyone consider my potential or discuss a career plan. I can clearly remember finishing a shift on a checkout, I was working in a supermarket, and I walked past an office and there were a group of senior managers and they're all having a meeting. And I vowed one day I would be in a meeting making decisions instead of being made to feel that my limit was on the till. But I wasn't sure at that point how I was going to achieve it. 
So my focus today is how socioeconomic status and unconscious bias affects the opportunity for individuals to reach their full potential. So I hope you can hear how frustrating it was to be in a situation where I knew I could do more to make my life comfortable and almost more importantly to reach my potential and have self-worth and pride and ambition but stereotype and assumptions were making that almost impossible. So you can imagine at times my story, let's say it was colourful and I met some very interesting people. I experienced so many emotions. I experienced some um, um, things that were ridiculous, terrifying. Um, there was without a doubt, there was um, fun and things were hilarious, but you know, it was, it was very much an, an up and down. When you step into an adult world, when you're still a child, it just simply accelerates the process. So not surprisingly, I would experience marriage, parenthood and divorce when most people my age were learning to drive and going to university or taking their first steps in a career. And looking back, I had lots of evidence to demonstrate my ability. Without a doubt, I could demonstrate resilience, problem solving, decision making, leadership, teamwork, um, definitely work ethic. But the examples would not be conventional and potential employers wanted to hear about activities taken in gap years or how you got work experience when you were doing your A-levels. They didn't want to know how you negotiated the cost of living when expenditure was double your income. So fast forward to my mid late twenties, life was easier. Um, it was in as much as it was stable and I definitely wasn't living in abject poverty. I now had work experience, but it did not evidence my true potential. I found value in volunteering. It gave me experience and self-worth. And in return, I received training and volunteering is also much more socially palatable and people make positive judgments about somebody that who volunteers. So I ran groups, coffee mornings. I was working full time running a um, start hub for families who had difficulties. I was also a foster parent and, I'm, and I really quite enjoyed that. I really started to think that this was the start of reaching my potential and that I would likely achieve the career I desired with the opportunity to compete and to progress. Um, no one could deny my energy or effort, but in the main, people were quite happy for me to do all of this, but for nothing. Not, you know, they didn't want to give me a job to, and pay me. So one incident that made this really obvious to me was when I was um, planning an application for a job. And my husband at the time was in the army and the colonel's wife, who I considered to be a friend, was visiting and we were sitting having a cup of tea and I showed her an advert um, for a job and it was for a spokesperson to act for serving personnel, wives and families. And she quickly told me that that position was not intended for someone like me, but went on to tell me which of her friends it might be more suited to. And I really do not think she had any idea of the impact that that had on me, but I'm not exaggerating when I say I felt crushed. I had more than run the gauntlet to get to where I was. I'd taken jobs that I hated, um, only because they had no challenge and my contribution was not valued. I'd given my time freely to help service families, acted as spokesperson in my free time, which was okay. And on a number of occasions, I was working in a position of responsibility, supporting families who were struggling. But it was low pay and it was without any progression because that's where people saw me. 
it felt to me that I just couldn't break the chains. Um, they were shackling me to a future where I had to be grateful rather than enabling me to strive towards a professional goal. I absolutely expected to work hard and prove my ability and potential, but the unconscious bias in society created a ceiling and that was far lower than the one that I was striving for. So that one statement that my friend made had a huge impact on my confidence and it made me doubt myself and my ambition because her judgment was not based on my ability. It was where she believed I fitted, even though she obviously liked me. I was only too well aware that it would be people like her who made the decisions about where people like me, whether they were going to be successful. So after some time, I decided that the only way I would be accepted in a professional forum would be to get formal academic qualifications. And I still don't know whether this was the right decision. I lived abroad at the time. My husband was in the forces, so averaged it out. He was away for probably two years out of three. I had a full-time job, numerous voluntary roles, three children in primary school, between one and two foster children, um, and I wasn't in a position to stop working and attend full-time education. So the only route available to me was the Open University. So when I say I took this on without really acknowledging what it would entail, this would be an understatement. I was interested in people, so I chose social science and social policy, I was sent the books, I was told the title of my first assignment, and when it was due, um, and that was, that was as much tuition as I got. I, there was no tuition, there was no computers. Um, com I didn't have a computer and they weren't really accessible, so you had to handwrite your assignment, send it off in the post, and I had to do all my studying at night when the children were asleep. So let me tell you, the OU is not an easy option. It took me six years to complete it, and that is a long time when it prevents you from, like doing simple things like reading a book for pleasure or having a social life or watching television without feeling guilty. Because if you have a spare minute between work, children, etc., you should be studying. I remember my first assignment, there is nothing as quintessentially English as a cup of tea discussed. The first thing that I had to do was look up what quintessentially meant. It really was a baptism of fire. So I still find it frustrating that I felt the only way to be accepted was to push myself through that. I know that I could have achieved the same professional standard without it. I just couldn't get anyone to give me the chance. And had I been given the opportunity, I could have utilized all of that commitment and drive to succeed in work experience. And that would have been a far greater benefit to a business. My reality gave me firsthand insight into what life is like for people who experience low socioeconomic status. I met people who had loads of potential, but no opportunity. And for a period, this was the box that I was in myself. I was still the A grade student. I had potential, but nobody could see it because the options I had were so greatly reduced. But now that I'm in a position where I can offer opportunity to others, I'm keen that unconscious bias does not influence the decisions that we make. So where do we start to make um, positive change? Well, most businesses use procedures to eliminate discriminatory practice. Um, for example, CVs, application forms, they don't highlight age and ethnicity and gender, disability, et cetera. Um, society is very aware of equal opportunities and employment law does go some way to reduce discriminatory practice. 
However, people with a low SES are much more likely to conceal their backgrounds because it causes vulnerability, it leaves them open to negative judgment, and therefore recruitment processes, they need to be very subtly inclusive. So questions need to be asked with the opportunity for a variety of examples. And rather than focusing on experiences which will be more accessible to those with a higher SES, we should look for behaviours and attitudes that include, for example, confidence, emotional intelligence, ambition, passion and positivity. I was asked if I was concerned about negative reactions or judgments because my current stereotype, that of a COO, is positive. And I've now just opened my book to divulge areas that contrast to this. And I would say absolutely not. We need to be open about this and we need to expose it. I'm proud of my achievements, despite the adversity that I experienced in getting there. Being poor is not a crime, but the discriminatory consequences that I have witnessed and experienced most definitely should be. I've experienced all walks of life and I've met lots of people who have been restricted in professional opportunity. I believe that as a business leader, the only influence when recruiting should be ability and potential allowing for training, development and progression. This makes business sense and understanding that stereotypes have no place in a selection is absolutely essential. Unconscious bias can be difficult to discount because actually we aren't even aware that we're being negatively influenced. So as an example, the food industry has a shortage of um, workforce, particularly in operational roles. But some of the language I hear deters applicants and it makes people feel worthless. So let me give you an example of how language changes dependent on whether you're either a higher or a lower SES. So during COVID and following Brexit, the industry campaigned for workers and the, prom uh, the promotion was all stoic. It was feed the nation, dig for your country, um, university students who couldn't travel because they couldn't take their gap years because of COVID. They were encouraged to take part and to uptake. The uptake was really positive. And these workers, um, the students, were all seen as heroes. So now I hear statements like, it's ridiculous, we've got unemployed people and yet we can't get anyone to work in the fields. They should be made to do the work to get their benefits. And this sounds like a punishment. It isn't encouraging or motivating. It sounds hopeless. It reinforces that the only options available are those that no one else wants. These are the same roles that we were telling university students that they were heroes for undertaking. And I think it's unlikely that many people strive for a permanent career picking lettuce or standing on a line, but the experience is an introductory role to the industry and it's so beneficial. If we show that the experience is going to start a career, that we care for the workforce and we want to enable potential then the prospect of a step on a career ladder with the opportunity for progression, that immediately sounds much more appealing. So we still need to follow a process for recruitment, applications, interviewing. And it's this process that we need to be consciously aware that stereotypes and unconscious bias will influence our decisions. So when we're setting application questions and interviewing, we need to be conscious that the questions are not restrictive if you want to identify potential, little is gonna be gained by framing questions in a way that only those with privilege will be able to demonstrate their ability. 
So when making decisions based on judgment, ask yourself, what is influencing you? Is it, a, is it judgmental or is it factual? Is it stereotype shaping your decisions? Unconscious bias could be affecting your business talent pipeline and those responsible for recruitment might not even be aware that it's an influence in your business. So how do you think we should tackle this problem? Safi, that was, that was amazing. That was amazing. I'm just gonna read out a WhatsApp that I had when you're just nearing the, the end. Uh, Max, please, this is from someone, someone who wants to remain anonymous. Uh, Max, please tell Safi that I have uh, low SES um, and I'm concerned about my future career, but having learned what I've just learned from Safi, she's the best person I've heard in over two years of listening to various webinars and, uh, and topics on the subject. Safi, thank you. So that's from oh. someone. Where, where I think you are amazing is that the, the fact that you um, are, were happy to bear all emotionally to get the point over so that we could learn from you and learn how, how serious the problem is so that we could actually feel your, your pain that you'd suffered in, in the past because of this, this, this subject. I think uh, you're very, very brave to do that. And it puts it over in such a quintessential way. And, and just to highlight one of, one of the bits that I, I love there, that's uh, your, your assignments with the, with the Open <laughs> University. There's nothing as quintessential, quintessentially English as a cup of tea, discuss. <laughs> the first thing I had to do was to look up what quintessentially meant. Just, just, just high, highlights that 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 element. Um, Eve, can you come back in so you can um, um, help help me uh, walk through Safi with this? So, so Safi, just just taking the it's very difficult to ask this question, but just taking the emotion out of it. Do you see this issue of SES um, as a as a big problem, especially within the food sector? That if we could find an answer to it, it could benefit that the, the whole sector if we weren't so so biased towards it. Safi, yeah. what do you think? Absolutely, because um, I think that people don't want to be put into boxes. So I know from my own experience that when you, you take a job, you expect to have to work your way up. There is absolutely no doubt that people can't just expect to get to where they want to go without working for it. But what tends to happen is that you um, categorize people and you stereotype, and then you think that's all they're good for. So they'll do that job and they'll do it well. And then you don't accept that that person's got potential and if you had a conversation with them and found out a little bit more about them and identify where do they want to go it might be that you could enable them to get there and they would stay in the industry and they'd stay working for us because I didn't mind working on a till but I didn't want to do it forever yep. um, so I just think that we really need to buy out the identifying um, what people's potential is, who, where they want to go and enable them to do that. And we've got to help develop people. And it's a huge problem. It's not a small problem. And, and Safi, do you think the problem is getting worse or, is, or, or are there more solutions coming, coming along? You gave that example about um, uh, the, the scenario in the army with, with, the, with the colonel's wife. And that's such a sort of stereotypical, awful example, but such a stereotypical Typical example. Do, do you think, as we desperately trying to avoid the, the, the use of the word of the class system, but as we see more equality um, within within um, within all of us socially, do do you, do you see this problem getting less and less, or is it just always going to be there? Is that stigma always going to be there, Safi? I don't think there needs to be a stigma, and I think there is, and I think people aren't honest. So I I think that um, you know even 
in our business, we, we look at applications and we try to see, you know, how can we enable this person and what might be holding them back. So, and um, something we identified was, if you want to do MDS, you've got to be able to drive, but if you can't afford a car, is that restricting yeah. people? So actually finding ways to, to help people that want to come on the programme so that they're not restricted because of that. And I think the thing that holds people back is there's no discussion because there's still a stigma. Um, I think that people are becoming more open and it's not that, you know, if you're poor, you should be, you're not entitled to anything, but you should be given an opportunity to, to reach the potential that you really could have done had you not had that holding you back. And unless yep. we start a conversation, you said, you know, you were brave. I thought really hard about whether I was prepared to out myself because actually the stigma and the assumptions that people will make, they will still make them, even though I have said, you know, this isn't, this is what we should be doing. Um, I think it's really important that we don't judge people and we just look towards what can they do in the business? And I got some supplementary questions on the back of that, but Eve, come on Eve, what do you, what do you think? So what Safi has, has just talked to us about and how Safi has opened up, up to us. So um, actually I was listening to the whole thing and I was, um, I, I was amazed because I, through my mother, have known Safi for quite a few years now and had no idea about any of what she's just disclosed to us. And I would never, ever have guessed that that was her background. I never would have, I, I, would, I guess I never, um, I never thought, I never thought about it. And I don't think I ever asked you, Safi, but I just kind of assumed that, um, that you know you've always had this kind of trajectory to achieve what you have achieved and everything in MBS which is just phenomenal and um it, it just makes me you know makes me really appreciate you know the, the opportunities that I have had in my life so far but actually it just um it makes me just um think that what you have achieved is absolutely incredible and you know, everyone should have that kind of drive and understanding in what their ability is. And sometimes it's that how, how you think of yourself. If you don't think of yourself as having that self-worth, you don't know how to push yourself and find the opportunities um, and kind of have that one person that can kind of really push you. If that's not yourself, then you need to have a role model. And if you can't find them because, uh, you know, you haven't got that in your life, then it's really difficult to, to kind of get off get onto that rung that first rung and then work your way out um if if would, would you concur with this i just had a whatsapp saying that so we need to get safi on desert island disc <laughs> as a representative for the for the food sector to show how good can be done what do you think Eve? should we sign, sign, yeah, sign up for I that mean, one <laughs> yeah definitely i would uh i definitely love to hear her song choices um oh no <laughs> I think be very very wide range song choices and um i have no idea what your uh your chosen uh, item luxury item would be, oh, but... be um, <laughs> and, and, and everyone dialed into this if you've got questions for, for, for Safi I think we've got a very unique individual here um so so, <laughs> so, so I'm just putting put in meatloaf <laughs> for your desert island disc song Safi but if you've got questions uh, of, of Safi because I think we're in a unique position here to really le learn from Safi Safi industry questions um uh, I've just had another whatsapp saying um really appreciate uh, what, what Safi is saying and how open she is how can we inc incorporate this into our recruitment um, process within our food business to make sure that we're not eliminating missing any of these individuals Safi 
I think it's about how you ask the questions. So um, I think some of the questions we'll ask for, you know, it'd be really easy to give examples of how you've been on gap years when you were worked in the chalet, ski chalet, et cetera. But if those um, experiences are just something that's completely alien to you because you've just got no opportunity, then we need to be really openly saying, you know, tell me about how you demonstrated confidence and leave it really open. But when they answer the questions and almost ask the people to say, this could include anything. So we're not just looking for um, you know, those experiences that we all recognize as potential leadership, but actually if, if you've been a carer for a, a parent and you've not maybe not had the opportunity to um, socialize, to mix, that you've had to do real hard jobs, People hide from that because they think that people will see that as a negative, um, but it isn't, it's positive. So we need to word applications and um, invite people to really give different experiences rather than the stereotype ones. And we need to talk about it because you can't just do it in an application form. If society isn't aware that we're going to accept it, then nobody will know that they can, they can push these as examples. So, Safi, and one thing I hate about recruitment is CVs, because CVs to me are, are so um, monosyllabic. They're just two pages of, 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 of words. And as you all know, people over the years have tried um, uh, video formats on CDs that have been posted out or, or, or on YouTube. What, what do you think is the answer, that barrier to sort of eliminating that CV and, and, and also to, to stop that unconscious bias that we definitely uh, see through CVs? Is there, is there a, a magic bullet, a magic solution, Safi, do you think, to finding another alternative to, to CVs? I think maybe we should just be saying to people, tell me about yourself, no more or no less, and let people give you their, their reality. And, you know, it's, you're applying for a job, and if you've got potential, you're going to be able to work out for yourself, regardless of what SES you're from, that they want to know if you um, have got the ability to solve a problem or to demonstrate that you're resilient, etc. So, you know, you, it's even okay to list what you're looking for, but just tell me about yourself and in your life, how have you demonstrated that? And that could be going to, you know, doing a ski chalet or um, whatever, because without a doubt, those experiences are fantastic. The problem is they're not open to everybody. So to give everyone a fair opportunity to reach their potential, then make it broader. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just Safi, come in there. Go on, um, I was just thinking that um, you know, if if someone has you know had a few years working on a till or or kind of caring for a parent or something, I think in terms of having those open questions, saying just like just like you said, um, tell me about a time when you have, but instead of saying demonstrated leadership or demonstrated time management, just saying mm. demonstrating that. Um, you've like turned up on time and that you can manage your time kind of yeah. with other things going on in the background it's not necessary because even if, if someone you know doesn't think they necessarily have good time management they actually will do because if they've been looking after a parent there's like meal times and there's kind of um, all of the different things that come alongside that which yeah. um, demonstrate who they are and their commitment yeah uh 
Uh, Joy, can you just uh, turn on your video so you can ask the, the question to Safi direct? But Joy, before we go, go um, live, just want to make one, one point. Now, I've got to do a presentation online to a number of students at the end of the week, and I, I've got the, the graveyard shift about telling students how to write their CVs properly. And, and I hate it when I get asked that, because there's a, if you go into Amazon, there's 42 different books on how to write your, your CV. So as I always tell students, the best thing to, to get a job is to use a phone. It's, um, and if you, if you look at uh, what we've learned from Safi today, if, if one word that hasn't come up it's tenacity and to be able to be tenacious and to be able to uh, to, to be to be confident in the, in the respect of um being able to present yourself in an eloquent way so people are interested uh, in you and push away the the need of a cv and then want to meet with you and they can actually see that there's something about you and they'll give you a trial or just bring you in on a on, on, on a basis on a, on a probation period to just try then you can show show your worth so that's what i'm going to be saying to those students at the end of the end of the week joy over to you please can you introduce yourself and then present your question to safi Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Safi. That was uh, a delightful uh, presentation, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, I, I'm Joy O'Shaughnessy. I um, am the producer of Women in Agribusiness, so I deal with these issues uh, a lot and have heard talked to a lot of people about them. One of the things that we definitely see uh, a pattern happening here in the U.S. is the removal of the education from job postings, because my degree 30 years ago does not compete with someone's last 10 years of experience, Yeah. period. And so that's really delightful to see. But then even when we choose students to attend our conference, we strip out um, what have you done? What are you studying? What awards have you gotten? And really just ask them, what do you want to do? And that's how we choose, like who has the who has ambitions that we can help them reach as opposed to who's done things that impress us. But one question I specifically had for you, um, is about the ag industry specifically. I come to ag from outside. I grew up outside of Manhattan. So ag is not something that I had any exposure to when I was younger. And I personally experienced people saying, well, you didn't grow up on a farm, so you don't know. And my response to them is usually, well, do you look for a banker who grew up in a bank? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I, I feel like ag actually holds some bias in its in the industry itself towards people who have... Mm -hmm childhood farm experience and I, I and I get it to a degree but I feel like I contribute to the industry why wouldn't it be open to me do you, have you experienced that sort of thing in the industry specifically well my experience in MDS is um, and the thing that we're really proud of is that we actively recruit people that don't have a um, industry background so we clearly are open to all of the farmers um, sons and daughters and people that have they're you know, it's a fantastic opportunity for everybody. But what we're saying is, you know, if you've got a history degree and you've never had any experience in agriculture, how do you know where you want to be? You know, if, you, if you're interested, we'll give you the experience. And so I, I would say the majority of the people that have gone through MDS in the last five years haven't had an agricultural background. And I think that's something that um, we're really proud about in MDS because we are actively trying to bring people in um, because we historically heard the same things, that if you haven't got the background, then you can't possibly do it. The success of MDS speaks for itself, when we most definitely can. Yeah, and go on, go on. I was going to say, I actually think that people um, who come out from outside agriculture are the people who are going to be able to change agriculture and be able to change it for the future and bring a different perspective in. And I think that is, you know, I study politics and now I'm in, agri-tech and you learn everything every, every day you learn something every day and I don't try and go into a meeting saying I know exactly what you're talking about I'm there to
question the status quo and try and find a new solution when I can. Mm. Having said that, Sappy, I think we need some sensible people in number 10 and with Eve's uh, political <laughs> background, but that's a conversation for, for another time. Um, so a couple of really interesting comments um, in. Uh, Kathleen, thank you. Civil service applications generally do not have a requirement for CVs. We want people to write about how they demonstrated certain behaviours or competencies. And just going back to what um, Eve was uh, was saying, saying I've, I've got an, an ag background, but I'm very aware that some of my um my, my my friends uh who are senior leader within especially agriculture that they're, they're, they're very myopic they're not world, worldly wise and i could just see how their businesses would benefit if they had a relationship with with mds and had that new blood coming in so so eve just just give give us that sanguine uh, comment again that the future of agriculture is or, or, have, or have i murdered it oh, goodness. Say again? uh gosh i can't remember what i said the, 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 the future the future of the future, I guess, the future of agriculture has to be. You have to ch change the like the opinions of people, and I can't remember the exact. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, it'll come back to me. Don't, don't worry, and, and Ivan, th thank, thank you for this because this is a really interesting one. I hope it's okay to ask you, Safi. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Safi. It was great to learn what one can achieve uh, when the, when you believe in your own potential. With this in mind, have you experienced self doubt at any point? In that case, how did you overcome this, Safi? Oh, yeah, lots of times I experienced self-doubt because it was constantly being told to me that um, this was where my limits were. You know, you this is, you've made your bed, you can lie on it. And, you know, because you've done that now is very reduced opportunity. Um, and in those dark days, you know, when I was feeling this, nothing's working and six years of the OU was probably the worst time. And um, I just had to tell myself that, no, they're wrong. Um, and I'm not going, not going to allow it. I'm, I am going to get it. The, um, you know, you've just got to really, if you really believe in yourself, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be days where you don't, but, you know, shake yourself out of that and say, if you really want it, only you can do it. But the problem is that other people have to let you in a little bit because it's almost impossible. You can't constantly bang against a brick wall. So, so Saf, Safi, how do you get them to, to let you in a bit? How, how, how do you get that tenacity? How, how, how do you create that, please? Well, anyone that knows me knows that I'll talk to Britain. So, you know, don't be, don't be afraid of networking. Don't ever think that you're better than anybody, but certainly nobody's better than you. So have a conversation. Let people get to know you. You know, really tell them what, what it is you want to do and ask people, you know, can you help me? Excellent. Um, Safi, uh, another WhatsApp in. Uh, amazing lady. Uh, it feels like she, she's on a journey. She's still a young lady. What's next for Safi? Gosh, thank you for that. I'm not so sure I am a young lady, but um, I don't know. I'm really enjoying what we're doing at MDS. So, um, you know, the next chapter for me is we have got some fantastic graduates that are going through the programme. And my passion for um, people developing and reaching their potential has nothing really to do with SES. What I want is for everyone to have the same opportunity. So the next opportunity is to make sure that we are not just doing it for people that have been to university, because there's a lot of people that have got potential and we want to drive them. And that is going to be probably my next thing. Safi, well done. You're going to be one to watch for sure. Um, and also on that point, we interviewed uh, for a series we run with the AHDB, um, a senior educationalist, and there's a broadcast that's going to be coming out um, shortly. He made a, a really interesting point that he thinks that in our uh, my kids' generation, that the bricks and mortar element of schools potentially won't exist, that 
there's going to be new methods of, of, of learning um, via um, e-learning by um, other, other virtual uh, forms of, um, of learning. So that the whole CV and the structure of universities might fall, fall by the way. Because actually, if you look at the likes of universities, if you're spending three, four years and uh, coming up with 30, 40, 50,000 pounds worth of student debt, whilst if you actually went down an apprenticeship scheme or went on to the likes of, or went on to the likes of um, MDS and, and learnt whilst you earned, um, you can see how that element is all going to shape up. So, so surely there's going to be even more of an equalisation on this whole SES point. Do you think, Safi? I think so, yes. And I think then we're going to also start um, learning that people, um, life experiences actually count for a lot as well. It's not just about, um, you know, the academic subjects. And we're certainly in education system is certainly moving much more into that remit as well. I think um, these, this sort of um, unconscious bias and also the ability for someone to have a goal to aim at needs to start, you know, at school, because yeah. at the age of kind of GCSEs, you're already kind of planning where your future is going to be. You know, if you're not mm. taking a certain subject, you, you can't then do it for A-level, you can't then do it as a degree. And I think that is something that really worries me. And um, but just having that, for example, I volunteer for a company and um, we have A-level students that have not necessarily had the kind of opportunities at school and we mentor them for, you know, what, what, what's your passion? Where have you shown that you, um, you know, that you like doing art or you like doing photography or whatever it is? And what degree programs could you do or what apprenticeships could you do in order to go down that route? And I think having kind of external mentors is, for, for school children is really good because it gives them an, a, an insight to an area that they have no idea exists. Yeah. And, and guys, what about this? Uh, uh, thank you, Kathleen. In 1986, only about 5% of the country had university degrees. Most people had virtually no qualifications. I've met so many intelligent, well-read and well-traveled people with no formal qualifications. I think things have gotten worse over the years with a myopic emphasis on qualifications. Safi? absolutely agree with that um people are going to university because they think they've got to do that um yeah. and the degrees that they're studying quite often don't have any impact on their um, future careers and they don't need to like i said you know you can study history and still um come into the agricultural business but you don't necessarily need to have studied that subject at all got all of that debt um and let that people are doing it because they think it's an accelerator into a career um we've got to change that way of thinking but I, I also think with apprenticeships. I also think schools impart that kind of thing of you need to go to university because if you don't go to university, then you won't, um, you know, you won't get a job, and that's just the wrong perspective. Yeah. I knew somebody that did um, uh, hairdressing because they weren't particularly academic, so they did hairdressing as a vocational subject. And when they got their level three, the um, college said you've got enough UCAS points to go to university. So what as well you could do salon management and absolutely no way did that person need to go to university but it was almost like well if you don't you're going to be held back um and we need to change that i think i think kathleen's with you on that one because kathleen said men have been sold a puppy in respect to university and end up with a huge amount of debt i, I remember when i finished at my uh, uh my amazing institution my course tutor on my last day said uh uh, well done, Max. Uh, coming here was 90% learning about life and 10% actual uh, academic work. Well, I'm glad he, <laughs> he didn't he didn't tell me that at, uh, at, at the start. But I, I think a change is, a, is definitely a coming. Um, another question, Safi. Um, Safi is inspirational. What would she tell her younger self? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I 
Well, I'm not pretending that I didn't make mistakes. I would, I would have definitely done things differently. I don't advocate that you, um, you know, you don't finish your schooling and go off and be independent at 16. So I would have probably told myself to think about that one. Um, but I think I would have told myself as well to be confident, to stand up for myself and make sure that people didn't put me in that box. That, you know, when instead of walking past the people in the meeting, knocking on the door and saying, I'd like to talk to you. Um, yeah, well you know, what about future opportunity? Yeah. And that's Eve, that's all it takes, isn't it? Just having that that little bit of courage, that little bit of confidence. And Eve, just pulling in your point again about that mentor. God, I never had a had a, had a mentor at that age, but just be to be able to give be given a steer from um a, a, a someone who has been around the blocks and to, to give them that that confidence i mean i'm i'm kind of obviously I, i'm doing it for an a-level student at the moment and i'm 26 so it's not even having it for um you know i haven't got a huge amount of education um, of life experiences and it's just about having that external person that can look at someone and say actually that's a really really good skill that you're doing the fact that you do drawing on drawing on the side that shows that you're really interested in it and it's just kind of small things like that it's just having that external person that you can talk to completely open-minded and um yeah that's Excellent. i'm smiling like a cheshire cat because uh, a contact just uh, emailed uh, whatsapp me to say uh, max i'm 56 in the food industry lady uh, could eve be my mentor <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all, it's all absolutely right way around so come on we, we better wrap this up and go into our our, our break, breakout room um but hold on jan jan england uh, the great jan england uh, just stated to us school's career guidance was awful in my day but based on what my kids experience and those we have had doing work experience with us it hasn't improved should teachers be encouraged to get some experience in the real world before they teach so they can help kids and um, guys, before you have a go at that, I was um, um, li listening to uh, talk radio the other day. I've got to get, I, 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 it wasn't Scandinavia. It was, um, oh, it's an Eastern European country where the education system is so good that when they have a teacher vacancy, they have over 10 people apply for that vacancy because it's, it is an esteemed position to have because they want to teach the young and they teach, in, in, teach the young in such an educational manner, what we were saying earlier, in and out of the, out, out of the classroom. Um, Safi, is there a way that we can educate the teachers to, to, be, uh, to educate the kids? How, how do we train the trainers to be, be, to be better trainers for our kids? Safi. I think, I mean, to get life experience before you become a teacher, um, you know, some might argue why, because they are living a life. So not everybody that becomes a teacher has, hasn't had experiences. That's, you know, that's almost doing what we've just said not to, not to make assumptions. And, um, you know, they, they may have grown up with all sorts of life experience. But I think we need to train them how to pass that over to children so that, you know, we, we empower children and we make sure that they, they understand that they can do anything they want. You know, take away this whole old-fashioned way of you know write a CV, loads of adjectives about how great you are on the top line and um, you know what grades you've got. That's it's just it's dead. We need to change that completely, and we need to start at school by teaching teachers how to do that. Eve. Um. Yeah, I was actually while, I was, while Safi was talking, I was actually thinking, how do we bring that back to kind of the workplace? And and I think um, what Joy said earlier about saying not necessarily what you've done, but actually what do you want to do in the future and where do you, where do you aspire to be? I think as, a, as an employer, that is probably one of the best questions you can ask someone um, because as uh, you know, if, if Safi had been asked that at a very young age, then I'm sure she would have got to where she is now 
a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And ask okay, why, so we, we, because we, we make all these assumptions, you know, it is all about stereotype, that it's not, it's not necessary that we always put people into boxes. So instead of making up your own mind about why somebody's in that situation, ask them. Okay. Safi, well, well done. So before we wrap up, Safi, I just want, I'm going to give you a, a statement to, to, to wrap up your amazing piece on. Um, and then I'm going to hand over to Eve to, to wrap up Women, Food and Farming for, for the uh, February outing. Um, Safi, social economic bias and the effects on professional opportunities. What would you like to see in the agricultural and food industry to eliminate, eliminate this, this issue? I'd like to see um, a, a stop the, the, the levels of operational roles being seen as something that um, you know, we have to get short-term staff in for, that we have to get Eastern European workers, that it's low level, it's, it's almost like a punishment, something that you would get a criminal to do. They're the basic, the first steps onto a career ladder, and we need to make sure that people that are coming into the industry are prepared to do that because they know when they understand that and they do that well, that they're going to progress. Safi, I've, I've had three, four, five, six WhatsApp saying, can we see uh, Safi speaking at other events uh, because of her open delivery style? It'd be fascinating to hear more from her. Please, can we have her back on? Please, can we see her live on face-to-face uh, -face events? So can we can we do that? Can we can we make sure that we're getting you in front, in front over and above Desert Island Dish that even I will sort out over, over the next couple of days? So, I'd be so, delighted. Safi, we need to see more of you for you and for NDS. I think there's there's a really fascinating story here that's uh, going to continue to run in a, on a really positive manner. Eve, over to you. Can you wrap up, please, for Women in Food and Farming? Absolutely. So um, thank you very much, Safi, for giving us such a, a, a heartfelt um, presentation. Um, Women in food and farming, we're open to uh, anyone and everyone. Um, we are hoping, as I said earlier, to start bringing in-person um, meetings back, kind of June, July, depending on the landscape, um, and that will be in London. Um, until then, we uh, you can follow us uh, through Max's um, Beanstalk Global um, area. Um, but yeah, follow us online and, and uh, on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, just let us know um, and uh, we'll get back to you. And also, if you're interested in presenting your story or any kind of, or you, you want to, um, or you have an idea as to what you want to hear in one of these um, seminar, uh, seminars, then please let us know. Uh, Eve, well, well done. I'm, I'm not sure how we can uh, get get that. We've really raised the bar today with Safi. So <laughs> I, don't, Absolutely. I, don't know, I don't know how we can we can better that. So so I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone on the live stream. We've been um, broadcasting live on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on the, on Twitter, and we're going to go to our breakout rooms now. So if you just hold on, uh, we'll just stop the live live stream. If I can find the button, and Mark Zuckerberg lets me stop it. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.